Hello and welcome to the Hardy Report. My name's Edward Hardy and for today's interview I'm joined by Keegan Hurst, the first openly gay British professional rugby league player. Before we begin, if you enjoyed today's interview or any of the other episodes that have been released, please take 30 seconds to click that subscribe button and give us a five-star rating. It's really appreciated. Keegan Hurst, thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me, Ed. For those that might not have heard of you before and your story, could you give us a quick introduction? Yeah, condensed version. Um, I got into rugby league, which is a very uh, localised northern sport, uh, by accident really as a kid. Uh, wasn't particularly sport. I grew up on a, a council estate. My mum tried to keep us in out of trouble, so we, I wasn't particularly into into sport. I was more into reading and computer games. Um, one day the coach tipped up and he'd seen me. I was a big lad and thought I'd make a decent rugby player. He was very wrong at first, uh, but I stuck at it and I I ended up yeah being all right and kind of falling into playing professionally. It was it was never something that I planned to do really. Um, and I played semi-professional for a lot of years. Um, obviously, growing up in a, a northern town, not any gay role models or anything like that, I didn't. Uh, I, I I guess I was struggling with my identity. I didn't feel that I had anybody who, who I could relate to, and and that I, I wasn't gay. So I, I kind of, you know, I was in denial about it. Tried to do what society expect, what I thought society expected. I should do, and you know, went out, got a job, played rugby, got a girlfriend, had kids, got married, um, and that went on until I'm about 27. Um, as you know, this struggle with my sexuality and identity got got worse. So did my relationships. Um, my marriage broke down, and then a few months after uh, splitting up with my wife, I I came out you know, privately to friends and family and, and to her and my teammates and things like that. And then a few months after that, um, it became a, a, a front page story in the Sunday Mirror. Um, and that was in 2015, so four years ago now. Um, and obviously, I was 27 then, so the middle of my career, I'm still playing now. And then since then, I've, I've gone on to play at the highest level of Rugby, you know, I play in Super League now. I played there for three years with Wakefield, and um, yeah, my professionally, my career's gone upwards. Really, my uh, everything's gone gone really well since it came out, and the, the, yeah, there was a lot of publicity about it, and um, yeah, that, that's that's a condensed version. If we go back to the start of that story, before you became a full-time rugby player, you worked as a doorman at a bar. You you mentioned that. You married your now ex-wife, who you had two kids with. When did you first realise that you were gay? I mean, hindsight's a wonderful thing. So I think with the benefit of hindsight, I was starting to question my sexuality and, you know, realise that I was attracted to the same sex when I was about 14, 15. Uh, but, you know, I was I was playing rugby at the time. I was... I was very big. I was very, dare I say, I, I don't really want to say masculine. I don't really like that terminology, but I wasn't um, what I considered at the time a stereotypical 
uh, what a stereotypical gay man look like, um, which obviously now I know not to be the case, but, you know, part of my ignorance at 14. Um, and so I had, I had no one to identify with, and I figured this, you know, this can't be right. Maybe maybe everybody's feeling like this and we're not talking about it. Maybe it's just a phase. Um, I didn't want to be gay, you know. If, I think... You know, when I was really struggling with my identity as I got, and my sexuality as I got older, certainly into my 20s, and I, I was really in deep denial about it. If someone had given me a tablet, you know, that had made it all go away, you know, stopped me questioning myself, I would have absolutely taken it. You know, whereas, you know, obviously now I'm, I'm, I'm proud that I'm a gay man, but it's, um, yeah, it was, it was uh, a difficult... It was difficult, really. I was so deep in denial. I, I had so many, trying to please so many people, you know, my mum, my coach, the lads, what what I thought. Well, I, I say that I was trying to please them. I was doing what I thought they wanted me to do. They'd not explicitly said one thing or another, but, um, you know, as, as certainly as, as kids and even, I suppose as adults, we get ideas in our head of, what we should do rather than, you know, what we could do. So, uh, yeah, it was, it was that that, that caused the, the issue. So the, I guess the basic answer to your question is I kind of thought I was gay when I was about 15. It's hard enough for most people coming out. I know that many people listening who've gone through that, I'm sure will also know that it's a very difficult process, both the acceptance side for yourself and also telling others about that. But you were in a uniquely public position. You were a captain of a rugby league team at the time. There was no one else like you in the sport. Do you think it was the internal struggle that you were going through that held you back? You mentioned how at the time there was no one that you saw out there that really looked like you that was in the same position that you could relate to do you think it was the internal struggle of feeling like there might be some blowback or trying to come to terms with it yourself that held you back from coming out earlier or do you think it was the fear of the reaction you received i think it was probably the the fear of the reaction um and and ultimately I, i wasn't I wasn't ready to come out. I, I, if someone had told told me that I was gay, if someone had said explicitly to me you're gay, I would have denied, flat denied it. Um, with with a full conviction, like I, I didn't, I, I didn't want to be. I didn't believe that I was. I thought it'd go away. I was fully committed to not being gay uh, for a lot of years. And, yeah, I think there was never a point where I, I thought maybe I'll come out because with that comes the, the thought process of accepting that I was gay and I, I never did. Um, because with that comes the the idea that, you know, when I married my wife, I was, I did it under a pretense. And although looking back, I, you can say that I did. Um, at the time, it, it wasn't that. It was, I was never, I never thought, I'm gay, but I'm going to marry a woman and that'll hide the fact that I'm gay. It was, I'm not gay, I don't want to be gay and I'm going to do what 
people who aren't gay do, and I'm going to get on with that. And anything else that I'm thinking or feeling, I'm just going to bury really deep, put it in a box and, and leave it alone. Um, so there was never a, a, there wasn't a thought process of me going, maybe I'll come out because I, I, I didn't think that I needed to because I didn't think that I was gay or it was never a, a thought that I entertained. Um, it was only after the breakdown of my marriage, um, which was due to me, you know, I was, you know, drinking a lot and I was doing a lot of things to sidestep these feelings and thoughts that I was having, um, going out, spending time away from the family, do anything that I could to, you know, to so that I didn't have to deal with how I was feeling. And that resulted in the breakdown of my marriage. And then after the, after the marriage had broken down, it gave me the breathing space um, and I suppose the, pers- the perspective to be able to to breathe and go oh right I don't have to I don't have to bury all this anymore more. maybe we should you know maybe I should deal with that and tackle that head on and and think about the ramifications of it um, and it was kind of in that time where I began to accept that I was gay that that was the reason behind why I you know, I was angry while I was going to bouts of depression. You know, I'd had, su- I'd had suicidal thoughts a couple of times. and um, So it was a relief to know that that was the reason. And then obviously comes the, the fear of the reaction and what, what do I do next? But um, yes, yeah. So the, there, was, there was never a thought where I thought, I'm, should I come out and then decided not to? As soon as I realised what was going on, it, it kind of snowballed from there. It was just, I spent so long denying to myself who I was that um, it caused a lot of, you know, emotional and mental health issues. You mentioned that the battle with your sexuality had a significant toll on your mental health. You've talked openly about how that inner turmoil led to you being depressed. How did you deal with that when that occurred? I reacted to it badly. I didn't deal with it well. Um, I grew up in a family where we didn't talk about how we were feeling. We, uh, you know, emotions and thoughts and feelings were soft and, um, you know, suck it up and get on with it. Rugby league is... Um, it's changing now, but certainly as I was growing up, it was very that kind of stiff upper lip, get on with it, mental toughness, all that kind of stuff. So there was a lot of grinning and bearing it. Um, there was a lot of negative self-talk on my part. You know, I was thinking and feeling crap about myself, depressed, I, I mean, anxiety. I, I didn't know what anxiety, it wasn't until, you know, re, fairly recently, I would say the last couple of years that I've been able to put the word anxiety to the feeling that I, I felt for so many years. Um, it, it was just something that I didn't talk about. It was just something that I got on with. And when push came, when it got really bad, I guess I'd turn to um, drinking and 
going out with the lads and just any, you know, forms of escapism. Um, yeah, I dealt with it really badly and my relationship suffered. And I mean, my relationships with my, my wife, my kids, myself, um, my work, rugby. Uh, I mean, it's a miracle that I held it that I held it all together at times. Um, yeah, so, yeah, I didn't, I didn't deal with it well. I wasn't, at times, a particularly nice person. Um, and it's not, it's not something that I'm, you know, particularly proud of that I dealt with it like that. But at the time, I dealt with it with the only tools that were available to me, I guess. Do you think that people around you noticed the trouble that you were going through inside the difficulties you were facing, that there was an internal battle going on? I think they, I think I was very good at hiding it. I think I was very good at dressing the going out up as Keegan's one of the lads is always up for it. Is you know, his captain is he, he wants to make sure we're all having a good time. So he's good at, I was good at dressing that up as that. But I think every so often there might be cracks in the facade. Um, and people would ask and I would, say that nothing was wrong or maybe I'd say that something was wrong but it certainly would never be what was actually wrong it would be a symptom rather than the cause um, and I was yeah I mean my life I I would get up to work at you know six o'clock I'd be out the house at half six do a full day's work and then go straight to rugby training or the gym from work and get in you know, if it was training, it'd be getting at nine o'clock. I'd eat, and then I'd be in bed, and that that'd be it through the week. Or or I'd be at the gym, and I'd be in at seven. I'd see the kids for an hour, and then you know, eat, and again go to bed. So f- through, and then a day, one day of the weekend was taken up by a game. So there was, you know, people might say, you know, surely someone at home would notice that there's something going on. But I, it was so busy my diary and so full that you know trying to put food on the table and have a you know fulfill my duties as a I was a joiner at the time and then you know as club captain I had just things to do other than training you know media commitments things like that and so it was always it was there was always a lot on um, and I guess that that was my way of distracting myself was keeping myself busy so I didn't have time to face my demons I guess when you ultimately did come out what was the reaction you received from family friends fans and your fellow rugby players yeah the first person I told was my wife Uh, she was she was okay when I actually told her I think she was in shock Um, and then she was understandably angry Um, we have a good relationship now but you know we're four years on now I, so then I told my f- family, which was my mum, my brother and my sister. Um, my brother and my sister were fine, but my mum wasn't. Um, she was disappointed. She was... Um, yeah, she was... I don't know. She was She was disappointed. She couldn't get her head around it. She couldn't... She, I guess she thought that I'd misled her, that I'd lied to her, that I'd not that I should have confided in her, but there was never anything to confide because of I was uh, 
and it, it was never something I thought about. Um, and that, and I still don't, me and my mum still don't talk now. Um, but other than that, the reaction was more, more than I could have ever hoped that it would be. I told a couple of teammates at first. I didn't announce it to everybody. I told a couple of teammates. And one of my teammates, one of my best mates, actually, he cried. Um, and he said that he was gutted that I'd had to go through that on my own and that he couldn't be there to help me. Um, the other lads were fine. It was just, it was either, you know, within a week it was being joked about, uh, you know, like a bad haircut or uh, some, you know, just a bit of crack around the dressing room. It was, and then for me that was, you know, the ultimate form of acceptance. The coach was fine. He said to me, it doesn't matter if you game you're a rugby player and you're my captain and that's all that matters and when he kind of said that I knew everything was going to be okay um, club were great they, they said you know anything we need anything you need we'll you let us know and we'll help you out any resources you need any support anyone you need is to get in touch with they fantastic and that was it I told friends and family and that was that and that was as, as far as it was going to go really and then um the head coach gave me a call. He, he does a lot of media stuff for newspapers and for TV and to, for rugby league. And he'd said that the papers knew about it um, and they were going to run a story on it. So I spoke to them and um, I figured, you know, if we're going to do a story, we might as well do it properly. And then it and then it became front page news and the reaction publicly was amazing. Um, I mean, the stuff. <laughs> The the week the day the story broke, we happened to be playing in a, a pink kit because we were it was the club every year raises money for breast cancer and they're playing a pink kit, and so the first picture of me as the openly gay rugby league player was in a pink kit, which was you know it was like the stars had aligned, um, but the the reaction from opposition players was not they've had nothing but praise or or it's not spoken about. Um, fans, I've not heard anything. Whether things have been said, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily hear everything that's, you know, said in the terraces. But not, I've never heard anything. Um, you know, there's only been, there's been very minimal incidents um, of any negativity whatsoever. I've been very, very lucky. A lot of people aren't as lucky as me. Um, so, yeah. The, I, I could never have hoped for an, such a good reaction, um, but it, it's been nothing but fantastic. As you said there, you did a, a lot of press when you first came out. It was front page news. What was the treatment like from the media when you came out? Were they quite respectful? Did they try to scandalise your sexuality and what you get up to now after you've come out? Or have they been quite supportive yeah, I, I would I would say they were. Um, yeah, they were they, they were they were supportive. It, you know, the the first few weeks, uh, the, the only I, I became friends with Anthony Cotton um, quite quickly, and we're really good friends now, best friends. And um, the 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 only thing that the paper did that I guess was a bit salacious was tried to insinuate that me and Anthony were having some kind of relationship. Uh, you know, he's been with his partner for 13 years now. 
And that, uh, but other than that, the the media was. I think that was just kind of clickbait or whatever. But the me, yeah, the media was was fine. Really, they, they didn't. They weren't intrusive about my kids or um, or my ex-wife. Or it, you know, it was to be fair. They were. I can't. I can't really complain about how the media handled it. And, um, you know, I was. I was. I was very lucky to have the friends around me that I have, and we kept. Uh, a, a lot of things to ourselves and there were certain things that I didn't want to talk about, you know, relationships and um, and the kids and, th- and things like that. And when I said that I didn't want to talk about them, they, they respected that. So, um, yeah, it was a, 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 a pretty positive experience with the media. And I imagine it was quite relieving for yourself being able to no longer have to hide that part of yourself to the world publicly, you're able to be completely open, completely transparent. Yeah, I mean, it saved me, you know, you, you know, you, when you, you, as you know, when you're gay, you have to constantly come out. You think you have to come out once and you have to do it over and over again. You know, that newspaper story saved me a lot of time and effort. Um, but, yeah, it was... The, the, I don't think it's any coincidence that after I came out, I've played the best rugby in my career. I've gone on to play regularly at the highest level in this country um, after years of, you know, playing decent level in the championship. But you know, not nothing to write home about. I don't. I don't think that's any coincidence that that burden being lifted and me not having to think about that or worry about that or is has had a massive impact on on me professionally my my private life is so much better there's it's it's been nothing but you know obviously the reaction's been positive but the the effect of it on my life is i'm a completely different person to the man i was four four years ago you know four years ago i'd not i'd not I'd, I'd probably just about coming out to friends and family so you know the the difference in me as a person, professionally and privately, from four years ago is, you know, chalk and cheese. One big topic that people presumably ask yourself, but people ask about sports in general, is why there aren't more openly gay individuals in rugby, in football in particular, where in the Premier League there are no openly gay individuals, which at the very least, seems statistically unlikely. As someone who's gone through the experience of coming out publicly, why do you think others aren't willing to do the same? I think that that question has so so many answers, so many parts to the answer. Um, so I think, first of all, some people might might not want to come out publicly, maybe. Certainly in, in football, if if they if they choose not to, I remember when I first came out, I the, the media knew about it and it was going to be a story, so everyone was going to know about it whether I wanted them to or not. Um, and I remember specifically saying, I don't want to be some kind of pinup. I don't want to be a poster boy for gay rights. I don't want to go on a crusade for gay sport or anything like that. I just want to, I, I was dealing with a divorce. I was dealing with 
moving moving house. You know, I had a lot going on, um, and I thought I I don't need to be, um, you know, given that charge. So, but then after I came out, um, I got a lot of letters. I got a lot of I got so many letters, so many messages of support, uh, messages about people who'd been married um, and were gay uh, and were struggling with that. People who'd stopped playing sport because they were gay and thought that they couldn't do both simultaneously. People who played sport but weren't out to the uh, teammates. When uh, I'm talking amateur, um, I had letters from. 50, 60, 70 year old men who who were in the closet who hadn't come out who wouldn't come out because they'd not had role models I got so many letters from such a, a wide array of people who it had affected and then I realised that if I didn't you know, use my notoriety for, um, for for some kind of good then it would be it would be remiss of me to do that so I thought, you know, I, I've been given a, an opportunity to to do something and to to stick my head above the parapet and to lead from the front. And I'm really grateful for the opportunity, and I'm very proud that I get to do that. And I, I get to go and speak at you know corporate events. I was I was there with uh, Kick It Out at, at last week, do, talking about homophobia in football and in sport. And I get the opportunity to do things like that. Um, and that was something that I didn't want to do. And I can imagine that a lot of people maybe see people like Tom Daly, Gareth Thomas, me speaking about things like that and think that I, they don't want that responsibility. And I can understand that because I felt that. So maybe that's one reason. Um, I think football is a completely different beast to any other game, any other sport in this country, probably in the world, uh, because of how popular it is. Because of the money involved, um, if you, you know, I, I there was a, I, I remember I had a fear that I wouldn't play anymore, um, but at the time I was playing semi-professional rugby, and if I lost ten grand a year that I was getting paid part time, you know, I could have, I could have managed. But if you're being paid, you know, hundred thousand pounds a week, and you think that you coming out will affect, that'll affect. You know, your way of life. Um, I can imagine that that would be a, a big barrier to stop people. I can imagine, you know, I play in front of anything from five to 20,000 people at, at, at some weekends. You know, every weekend footballers are playing in front of, you know, 50, 60, 70,000 people. And the demographic of that fan, those fans are so, so different. Um, at rugby league and rugby union, um, games, I'm saying rugby union because Gareth Thomas has done it. Um, the, the demographic is predominantly families, so there's lots of women in there, there's lots of children in there. I would say that the atmosphere is less aggressive, less um, less tribal than what it is at football, where the demographic is predominantly young men. And I'm not saying that all young men are homophobic at all. I'm just when they're in that um, that environment and that mob mentality kind of takes over. There's also the policing of it, uh, stewards. You know, I'm not necessarily listening out for homophobic language. It's like the case of if you're white, you're not necessarily listening out for racist language because that's not something that you're used to listening for when you're gay or lesbian or trans or 
or buy you know anywhere as part of the community and you're used to listening your ears prick up when you hear certain words when you hear people talking in a certain way but if you're a straight white male which predominantly stewards are they're, they're not listening to that kind of language so they're not making those spaces necessarily safe and if those spaces aren't safe then why would a player put themselves at the risk of abuse uh, uh, the the extra scrutiny they'd be under um, there's you've got to think about the, the the cynic in me that the that says the money involved in football with um, they have investors from Qatar they have investors from Saudi Arabia you know it's it's well publicised what a lot of Middle Eastern countries take on uh, gay men is uh, you know the sort of Brunei having to you know stoning people and, and things like that and they invest a lot of money into football clubs and I can imagine that maybe football clubs are saying you know we don't want to lose that £500 million money because you're gay so shut your mouth um, you know maybe that's going on there's, there's so 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 many reasons um, I think and yet I think that maybe when one player does it and just says you know what fuck it I'm going to do it I don't care. I'm, I'm not bothered. And they stick their head above the parapet. Maybe that'll be a bit of a I'm Spartacus moment and a few people will step up. But football is certainly the last bastion. There's, there's so many answers to that question. I, I think it's really easy to say, you know, the FA is not doing enough or Stonewall needs to do more or society is shit. Or it's really easy to. But you, there's so there's so many aspects to that question, and I think it it's um, it's a bit of a minefield, really. There's personal reasons, professional reasons, both on the individual side and possibly the club that they play for. I mean, in one of the articles talking about you coming out, it quoted a statistic: eight percent of football fans would stop supporting a team that had an LGBT player in it. Yeah, I think that was from the Stonewall. Um, they did a survey. That's what that was from, wasn't it? And and, and that and that's you know that's horrendous. I mean that is horrendous. Uh, but it goes to show. At the end of the day, money makes the world go around, and these you know there's a lot of rich fat cats at the top of these very rich clubs that want to keep it that way and. Unfortunately, if that means telling one player to keep the mouth shut about the sexuality, then I'm sure they're willing to do that. And, and that's a terrible, immoral, sad thing. Um, but that, I guess that's that's not that's out of our control. You've opened up about all the difficult elements of your coming out process, which I, I really appreciate you doing, and, and how willing you are to be open, honest, uh, even on quite difficult to talk about moments. But now you appear completely comfortable with who you are, your ability to talk about it. You appeared on the cover of Attitude magazine. You've marched at London Pride. You even were on an episode of Celebrity First Dates. (laughs) Yeah, I was. (laughs) How much do you think you changed as a person since coming out you know being able to do all of that I imagine that five years ago you wouldn't have even thought that was possible 
going on an actual date with a man on national television, I imagine was quite a far step from someone who was struggling to work out themselves, really. The process, since I came out, the my development as a as a person, as a man, as a dad, as a member of society, as a member of the LGBT community, all those different caps that I wear, the I'm so much further down the line now than than what I was. And I'll be honest, I I think at the time of coming out, I thought I had everything figured out. I had everything sussed. Uh, I had all the answers. I, I knew what I knew. I thought what I thought, and that was that. And everybody else was probably wrong. Um, I don't know if it comes with age. I don't know if it comes with um, experience, maturity. I can imagine a bit of bit of them all. Um, and I, I guess I realised that 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 wasn't the case, and I questioned a lot of things, and I faced a lot of fears. Um, you know, going on that day in public was, uh, yeah, it was it was terrifying. I, I remember, you know, I'd, I'd booked to go on it. I think it was filmed in in the the April. I booked to go on it in the February. So for two months, I was shitting myself. Um, you know, I'd I'd not been on. I'd only been on a couple of dates privately. Um, I'd been seeing someone for a while, so actually dating some, you know, meeting someone who I didn't know who was a man. I mean, I'd, I'd not dated a girl since, I, you know, I was with Sarah since I was 19, and I did that when I was 28. So I, I've not really been on many dates as a, you know, as a grown man. So it was a daunting experience marching up. I mean, matching at London Pride, that I did that with Stonewall. I've been on the Pride, been on the Coronation Street floor at, Man United, at, at Manchester Pride with with Anthony, and, and that uh, you know I've done been on stage with Ian McKellen, and uh, you know those things are surreal moments and uh, and moments that I, I cherish. Eye openers, um, they were. I, I guess I you've just got to. Go for something. Sometimes you just got to go for something, you know. Even if you're scared, you've just got to go for it because, you know, when you jump out of the frying pan into the fire, you usually come out hardened for it and better off. And the the and I guess my reasoning for the first dates was it'll be an experience. Whatever happens, it'll be an experience. I mean, I, I never knew that it would go as catastrophically bad as it did, um, but. It was an experience, you know. I'm sure he's not a bad guy. It was just, it was just a bit awkward for both of us, and um, it was a learning curve. It was, and it, and it was something that I look back on and I laugh, and I'm glad I don't regret doing it for a minute. The food was great, um, so yeah. I, and I, and I continue to do things now that, and like I say, I I get to I go and stand in front of. You know, people who work for law firms and I talk about equality and diversity. I talk about how teamwork's important. I talk about overcoming adversity. I go in and talk to schools, to kids for, for Stonewall. I do some work with Sporting Chance. Um, 
about mental health. I get to go and speak to people about mental health and, and the struggles and the signs and how you deal with it and how not to do what I did. And, you know, I, all, all my experiences have, have made it possible for me to do that. And I never, ever thought that that, that was something that I would A, do or B, be comfortable doing and certainly C, enjoy. Um, so the, you, you know, everything that we all go through is, is putting us in, in good stead for something. There's always a silver lining to everything. Um, and uh, you know, at, at times it has been really tough, really, really tough. Um, but ultimately it's made me the man that I am today. And I, I can honestly say now as a 31 year old man, I'm really proud of the man that I am now. And, the dad I am and the, the person in society and what I stand for. And I can, you know, I can proudly stand by things that I say and I do. And, um, and that's not always been the case. So, you know, the last four or five years is, I guess the last 30 years has, has been the making of that. So yeah, it is, it is difficult to wrap your head around the change that, that has happened in my life. Um, it's 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 certainly a good thing what advice would you give to other people younger lgbt individuals out there who might find themselves in your position or a position similar whether that's people who want to go into sports who are already in sports or just in general younger lgbt individuals who are struggling to work out who they are what their sexuality is my experience is a very unique because I came out when I came out. I, I look how I look. I sound how I sound. I know that if I did, you know, there's kids at school who who don't look or act like, you know, I was, it, it was, I was able to cover up the fact that I was gay. You know, I didn't, I didn't want to be gay and I could, I didn't have to walk around with that. Some kids can't do that. Um, and ultimately, you know, those kids who come out when they're younger, I always think are, are the bravest kids that there is. They're tackling something that I didn't have the balls to tackle until I was a grown man. Um, and you know, some kids come out at 14, 15, younger even. Um, and they have to deal with horrific bullying and terrible, um, you know, the language that's used and how they're made to feel and, and they get through it. Um, and I think to the, you know to those kids I say you know those ex, your experiences will find the positive in it and you know use it to to make you stronger and a better person and so that you know how not to behave and uh, you'll be able to help other people who are in a similar position to you. I think to people who want to play sport and a gay or, or, or LGBT, I think there's so many ways that you can do it. There's a lot of inclusive teams now that uh, try to create uh, safe spaces, whether it be rugby, football, whatever, and they are open to LGBT people and straight people. I I, I think that they're, they're good as a gateway. I'd, I'd like for one day that those to not be necessary and you can just go and play in a, a 
a team and it doesn't have to be LGBT, you just tip up and play. And I think if you can do if you're if you're okay with who you are, you can go and what I've learned is people don't care who I sleep with. People care about how I perform on the field. And if you're turning up and you're training hard and you're doing your bit and um, and you are who you are, and you, as soon as you wear who you are with pride, nobody can ever bully you for something that you're proud of. So, you know, if, if you think that you could, if if you think that you want to play sport, go play it. Go find, go try it. Um, and try as many sports as you can and see what you love. I think it's so important for everybody to, to be as active as possible. So find a sport, try it, play it, love it, do it again. Um, yeah, and, and for anybody who who's struggling with their sexuality and doesn't know what to do and doesn't know where to turn, I would say pick up pick up a phone and speak to somebody. It, you know, not necessarily speak to somebody who you know, because that's sometimes more difficult. But picking up a phone and there's so many amazing LGBT charities, whether it's the Albert Kennedy Trust or Stonewall, you can pick someone up, uh, pick a phone up and speak to someone and tell tell them that you're struggling, um, tell them that you don't know if you're struggling, you don't know what's going on, you just need to speak to someone um, because bottling things up is is so bad for. For every, everybody, you know, suicide is the biggest killer among young men, and and I know it's the uh, um, statistically a, a bigger killer among LGBT people, and that all comes from bottling things up and not speaking to people. Um, so, yeah, I, there's lots of different advice I would give to to people, and I, I think that that covers them covers them all. Keegan Hurst, thank you for joining me. Cheers, Edward. Thank you very much for having me. That was Keegan Hurst, the first openly gay British professional rugby league player. You can find out more about him on Twitter at Keegan Hurst and Instagram at Keegan Hurst. That's all for this week. What did you think about that interview? Let me know on Twitter at Edward T. Hardy. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to give us a five-star rating and subscribe. Until next time, goodbye.